Hello, ladies. Wow, look at all of you out there. What beautiful faces. Ah, oh, thank you so much for coming and being a part of Women in the Word. Thank you. I'm Deb Haygood. I am part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and it is a very great joy and a humble privilege to be here with all of you today studying God's Word together. Welcome, welcome. You know, this semester, our study is called Journey, and I like this title because we are all on a journey, a life journey filled with experiences and uh, choices and decisions and relationships, and just getting here today might have been quite a journey for you. Maybe, um, you know, your car didn't have gas in it. Maybe it was a flat tire, or you didn't have the right stuff to put in the lunch. How many of you had a difficult time getting here today? Yeah, okay, thank you for persevering and coming anyway. Um, you know, the hardest part of the journey for some of you today might have been deciding what to wear. That's always a hard part for me. I've been thinking about it for um, weeks. I'm glad that I kind of look like Shelly Davis, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Um, <clears throat> You know, the grandkids have all gone back to school, and so about two weeks ago, my granddaughter Hallie sent me, and there's that picture, uh, we'll put that up there, granddaughter Hallie went to uh, send me a picture, and she is wearing her cheetah dress with her uh, headband with ears on, we can put that, there she is, and she has hot pink shoes with cat faces all over it. So I thought, well, that seems a bit much, Hallie. And then that very day, up pops on my phone this ad from a very high-end um, clothing store, and they have five models scrolling through dressed in every kind of animal print you can imagine, and none of it matched. They had shirts and pants and hats and purses and boots, and they even had an animal print trench coat. It was wild. Actually, maybe a journey on the wild side. So that's a bit of humor. But more seriously, I know some of you today, your journey was filled with anxiety because it's scary to meet new people and to be in a new small group and to have a new leader, especially if this is your very first time ever at Women in the Word. Uh, how many of you are here, if you don't mind raising your hand, for the very first time ever in Women in the Word? Do we have some of you? Wow, we, thank you for coming. Thank you. Hey, the, the Women in the Word team works really hard at making it warm and welcoming and comforting, comfortable and able to navigate through. But if any of you are still feeling overwhelmed or confused, please come up and talk to me after this is over. I would love to um, listen to what you're thinking. And we just want you to come back and be a part of this um, study. You know, some of you are here today, and your journey right now is filled with obstacles and hard places. Maybe it's your health or finances or a, re a relationship that has gone awry, and you are sitting out there feeling lonely, maybe disappointed, filled with fear. Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you're hurting and broken. You are in the right place today. I'm so glad that you are here because reading and studying God's word brings us into a closer relationship with God. And he is the one that can help. He is the one that can heal your broken heart and mend your wounds. I love it when Jesus says in Matthew 11, um, and it's on your extra set of verses, Jesus says in 11:28, come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it's my prayer that you will find rest in God's word this semester. And then there are those of you that love women in the word, and your journey today is filled with excitement. You love meeting new women. You love studying God's word. You're the, first, you're the same gals that love the first day of school. Um, so you're excited. And I get that because I, too, am filled with great joy and excitement as we begin this study of the Israelites' journey from Mount Sinai to Canaan found in the book of Numbers. All right, now I see some of your eyes have just gotten real big, and some of you might be thinking, hey, Deb, I didn't understand one word of what you just said there. I am not sure who the Israelites are. Um, I don't know where Mount Sinai is, and I haven't a clue why they want to go to Canaan. And what in the world is the book of Numbers? Well, let me assure you, it is not a math book, and you don't have to be good in math to uh, enjoy this Bible study. And if you stick with us all semester, you are going to know very well who the Israelites are, and you're going to understand their journey. And today, I have a map for you that I will show in a little while so that you will know where Mount Sinai is. Uh, I'm also going to give you some uh, brief uh, background information. I think it will help us with our study of numbers. And then we're going to look um, quickly at an overview of numbers. And then we're going to look at the first three chapters of numbers. So we have a lot to do um, today. So let's begin by turning to Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> numbers is the fourth book in the Bible. We have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers. And then the fifth book is Deuteronomy, and those five books are called the Pentateuch. And they are written by Moses through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible, because this Bible these are God's words, God's very words. This is his story of love for and salvation for mankind. The very first thing we see in the first book of Genesis, God creates the world. He creates everything in it, and he creates the first man and the first woman, and he walks with them, and he talks with them because God's desire is to be in relationship with mankind. And that includes you, each of you, and that includes me, his desire to be in relationship with you. So we are all part of his story, and you are going to find yourself in the book of Numbers. So be looking for that. Okay, so um, we're going to find this book of Numbers applicable, very applicable. You may not think so, but you're going to be amazed, and you'll be surprised at how relevant the book of Numbers is. So let's begin reading Numbers 1, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. I love this verse because it gives us so much information right at the beginning. It starts out by telling us who is important in the book of Numbers. And you see it right there. It says the Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord God is the central figure in the book of Numbers. He is everywhere. He's talking. He's leading. He's instructing. He's providing. He's blessing. He's disciplining. He is involved in everything. Did you ever think God is distant? He doesn't really know what's going on in my life, and he doesn't really care about me. The book of Numbers will show you that God is present and close to you. 
He loves you. He cares deeply about you. This Bible, God's story, is also one of revelation. The words tell us about him, his character, his attributes, his desires, his plans. In studying God's word, he is revealed. And in the book of Numbers, God reveals a great deal about himself. He wants us to know him, to be drawn into a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. And that changes us. Studying God's word changes us. We're going to look at a lot of attributes of God this semester, and one of the main ones we're going to see is God's holiness. Have you ever thought, what is God's holiness? How do you describe that? What does it mean? You will have a greater understanding of his holiness after studying numbers. Billy Graham once said, as I read the Bible, I seem to find holiness to be God's supreme attribute. We're going to learn about the holiness of God, and we're also going to see his sovereign power. God is sovereign. He's in control of all things, and he is all-powerful. We're going to see his faithfulness. We're going to look at his goodness and his mercy and his overwhelming love. So let's look back at verse 1 and see where um, is this story taking place. And it says there, in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting. Now the tent of meeting is another name for tabernacle or the sanctuary. It's the place where God dwelt. And it's in the wilderness of Sinai. You know, interestingly, the Jews use um, in their Old Testament um, a Hebrew word uh, for this book. And it means in the wilderness. And that's a good title for this book as well, because this journey takes place in the wilderness. When does this story begin? First day, second month, and the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. Now, they refers to the Israelites. So let's review for a minute who the Israelites are and how they got to be in Egypt in the first place. And so we um, need to go back to Abraham. We meet him in the book of Genesis. And God calls Abraham to leave his home and to go to Canaan. And Abraham obeys. And God promises Abraham three great things. All the land that he can see from the top of a mountain. A many descendants and blessing. And not only blessing for Abraham and his descendants, but God tells Abraham that the whole world would be blessed through him. And that is a reference to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus would come from the descendants of Abraham. So the family tree looks like this. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. And God renames Jacob Israel. So Jacob is renamed Israel. And Jacob has 12 sons. And the 11th son is Joseph. And he's Jacob's favorite. So his brothers um, are jealous of him. And one day they sell him to a passing caravan. And Joseph ends up as a slave in Egypt. But God is with Joseph. And so over time, Joseph becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. No one is more important in Egypt than Joseph, except for Pharaoh himself. During this time um, in Canaan, there is a famine, and so Jacob and his 12 sons and their families journey uh, to Egypt for food. And there they are reunited, and they are reconciled with Joseph. Seventy people in Jacob's family 
went to Egypt. And the book of Genesis ends with Jacob giving a blessing to his sons. And Joseph gets a double blessing because both of his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are also blessed by God. And we're going to see those names again in just a minute. So Genesis closes and the book of Exodus opens up 400 years later and the 70 members of Jacob's family have multiplied. There's been a population explosion and now they are probably more than 2 million people. We see that promise um, to Abraham of many descendants coming to pass. But the pharaohs uh, uh, over time in Egypt have enslaved the Israelites because of this great number. They were afraid of them, and so they are treating them harshly. Their lives are bitter, and they begin to call out to God to send them a deliverer. So God sends Moses to deliver his people from slavery, lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land. And God repeats this promise about the promised land in Exodus 6, verse 8. On your verse sheet, God says this to Abraham. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And that name there for God, I am the Lord, is very mighty. I am means the self-existent, eternal God who was and is and always will be. And when you see Lord there in capital letters, that is Yahweh. That is the personal covenant name of God that the Israelites use. But this is not an easy task for Moses because Pharaoh is stubborn and he doesn't let them go. And so after 10 miraculous um, devastating plagues that God sends on Egypt, Pharaoh finally lets them go. And Moses leads them out of Egypt across the Red Sea and in the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And they get there on the first day of the third month after leaving. So they arrive at Mount Sinai. They're going to stay there for almost a year. And some very important things happen at Mount Sinai. First of all, let's look at a map of Mount Sinai. You see there down at the bottom, Mount Sinai, kind of right in the middle at the bottom. And then over to the left is Egypt, and to the right and the top you see Canaan there, um, right by the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And that Canaan, that is uh, present-day Israel. And if you look at uh, the little town sort of right in the middle of the map, Kadesh Barnea, That is where they're going to go, the first place they're going on their journey from Mount Sinai. And it takes less than two weeks to get there. So that's our map I want you to kind of see, and it's in your notebook, and you'll want to keep that and refer to it um, as you look at your questions over the weeks to come. Um, The first thing that happens at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, and this is very important. It's foundational to our study of numbers. So look on your verse sheet at Exodus 19. Um, This is God, and he tells Moses, say this to the Israelites. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. All the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so Moses says these words to the Israelites, and this is their response. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They're going to listen to God, and they're going to obey God. And so they enter into this covenant with God and the Israelites. 
Very important there. Second thing we see at Mount Sinai, God gives Moses the law, beginning with the Ten Commandments. And then the third thing, he also tells Moses, I want to dwell in the midst of my people. And so he gives Moses a blueprint for the tabernacle, the sanctuary, his dwelling place. And so all the craftsmen and the seamstresses and the weavers and the woodworkers, they all come together and they begin to build this tabernacle and the furnishings and the courtyard of the tabernacle, just like God has told Moses. And here in the Holy of Holies, over the Ark of the Covenant, God's spirit would dwell. And it would look like a cloud over the tabernacle by day. And it would look like a pillar of fire over the tabernacle by night. This is God's glory. His Shekinah glory. God is dwelling in the midst of his people because he desires to have a relationship with them. So he dwells in their midst. And then Exodus ends with chapter 40. And on your verse sheet, verses 1 and 2 says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And so here it is. They've been there almost um, a year. On the first day of the first month, Moses begins to erect this tabernacle. And now we see numbers opening up, and it's the first day of the second month. So one month has passed, and now they are almost ready for their journey to the good land that God had promised them. And I call this the ultimate road trip. It should have taken less than two weeks, but because of their lack of faith in God, and in Numbers you see the severe consequences of, um, of doubting God and not having faith in God. So their lack of faith in God um, causes them to rebel against his plan, and they don't go into the promised land. And so God's discipline results in the Israelites staying in the wilderness for 40 years, and that's what we're going to look at uh, some of that in the book of Numbers. The first 10 chapters in Numbers, the Israelites obey God. But in chapter 11, they begin to complain and grumble. And this erodes and weakens and destroys their faith in God. But God does not abandon them over these 40 years. He uses this time to instruct and to educate this second generation of Israelites. This first generation, those 20 years and older, they're going to die in the wilderness over the 40 years. But the children, the seconds, those under 20 um, years of age, this second new generation will grow up and they will know God and they will trust him, believe in him. They're going to follow him and walk with him. Um, they also know how to worship him. And not only that, but God is going to tell them how, about themselves, how to treat each other, how to live in community with all these people. Very relevant for us today. How to live in peace and harmony with all this, these people that were around them. We are going to see God's patience with the Israelites. And we're going to see his faithfulness to keep his promise to them as he leads them to the land of uh, Canaan. We're going to see his provision for them over these 40 years. And we're going to see God's severe judgment right alongside his goodness. We're also going to see things that point to Jesus Christ, and we're going to study those as well. All of these things we're going to look at in the book of Numbers. Now, one quote said that in Numbers, we see the walk of the people of God in the world and their failures. 
overcome by God's grace. And isn't that our hope as well, that God's grace overcomes our failures? And at the end of Numbers, this new generation, this second generation of Israelites will be standing on the banks of the Jordan River ready to enter into the promised land. We're going to see God's plan continue to unfold through the book of Numbers. And God has a great plan for you as well. And I'm always reminded of that when I read Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a great plan for your life journey. Okay, so that's the background and the overview of numbers. So let's look at the preparation for this ultimate road trip. Verse 2. So God says to Moses, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head. And that phrase there means individually. From 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war. You and Aaron shall list them company by company. And there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers. So God says, take a census, count all the men, number all the men, 20 years and older. And that's where we get our title for the book of Numbers, from this census that Moses is going to take. God is getting the Israelites organized. And organization is a major theme in the book of Numbers. We're going to see it over and over again almost every week. We're going to see organization, and you can see why organization would be important. There's almost, uh, you know, two and a half million people traveling together through the wilderness. They would need to be organized. I took a road trip this summer, maybe some of you did as well. Um, mine was two days, and I took it with my husband, my two children and their spouses, and my four grandchildren. So there were 10 of us, and we were going from Miami to Key West and then back. So you already see the numbers. We've got 10 people, two days, and we had two cars. Well, the four grandchildren, their siblings and cousins, they wanted to all ride together. So then uh, what adults will be there? Where will the other adults be? Which car? How many miles to Key West? How many hours will it take? Where do we stop for lunch? Where are we going to stay in Key West? And who's going to be paying for this and that? And um, what will we do? And even what are we going to pack? Because we couldn't get all of our suitcases into the two cars. And so we had to decide what clothes we needed for these two days. Two days. Now, let me tell you, my daughter and daughter-in-law, whom I love dearly, they are very organized, as are my son and son-in-law. And so the trip went perfectly. There were no problems. My husband and I had a blast. It was great fun. But I have to tell you, I thought a lot about these many, many Israelites traveling together over 40 years through the wilderness. So the first thing we see in this census, um, it's revealed that God cares and protects the Israelites as he prepares an army. That's what he's doing when he says to Moses, count these men. He wants to know how many are able to fight for Israel against the enemies along the way of their journey and also as they march in to conquer Canaan. 
How many men are there? This is a big task, but God breaks it down for Moses and his brother Aaron is helping because he gives him 12 leaders, one leader from each of the 12 tribes. And these 12 men are listed in verses 5 through 15. Now, we're not going to look at those names. You looked at that in your uh, small groups this morning, but what I want to point out are the names of the tribes that they come from, because these uh, tribes are going to be very important over these next few weeks. So let's look at that. You might even want to underline them in your Bible. So verse 5, we see, first of all, from Reuben comes the first leader. Now, Reuben was Jacob's firstborn son. And then in verse 6, we see Simeon. Simeon was Jacob's secondborn son. And then in verse 7, we have Judah. Judah was the fourth-born son. And so the third son, Levi, we're going to look at in just a minute. He's left out of this census. Verse, seven, verse 8 tells us Issachar, 9 is Zebulun. And then in 10, this is interesting, it says from the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. So Joseph, there's two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Then verse 11 tells us Benjamin, 12 from Dan, 13 Asher, 14 Gad, 15, Naphtali, and those are the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we go on to read in verse 17. Moses and Aaron took these men who had been named, and on the first day of the second month, they assembled the whole congregation together who registered themselves by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, head by head. There it is again, individually. And that phrase there, registered themselves, some of your translations might have said, recited their ancestry. What a beautiful picture. They're all standing around Mount Sinai, these many, many people, and they're in their clans and houses reciting their ancestry. Kind of the first ancestry.com, I think, right here by Mount Sinai. I love to think of how the little children are listening to this ancestry. And then we go on to verse 20, and now we're going to see these uh, tribes and how many men are in each one. And we're not going to read all these verses, but we're going to read verse 20. The people of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, their generations by their clans, by their father houses, according to the number of names, head by head, there it is, individually, every male from 20 years old and upward, all who were able to go to war. Those listed of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. And then it goes on, and you might want to read this later, but we have all the different tribes. Next is Simeon, and then Gad, and Judah, and we see how many men are in each of these tribes. But if you turn over to 46, they have added it up for us. So see, you don't have to be good in math. 46 tells us, All those listed were 603,550. Wow, that many men. And so you think there were probably at least that many women. And so you add that to it, and now you're up to 1.2 million. And then there were probably that many children. So you double 1.2 million, you come up with 2.4. Almost 2.5 million Israelites could have been in this wilderness of Mount Sinai. That is a lot. And so the second thing this census reveals to me is how God has blessed Israel with great numbers. The promise to Abraham back in Genesis of many descendants is being kept by God. 
God is keeping his promise. And the third thing this census does is to point out how important each person is to God. They were numbered individually, and God cares about us individually. Each one of us, each of you, God cares about you individually. Isaiah tells us in 49, uh, 16 on your verse sheet, he says, God has engraved us on the palms of his hands. And then Paul, this isn't on your verse sheet, but in his letter to the Philippians, I think it's 4-2, he tells us that as believers, our names are listed in the book of life. And then Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 30, our um, hairs on our head are numbered. God knows even how many hairs are on our head. And John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the whole world that he gave his son that whoever believes in Jesus shall live eternally. God cares for you individually. So as you consider the census, know God cares for you individually. So let's go on and look at verse 47 and see what happens to the Levites. Um, it says, but the Levites were not listed along with them by their ancestral tribe. For the Lord spoke to Moses saying, only the tribe of Levi you shall not list and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They're to carry the tabernacle and its furnishings. And it goes on to say they're going to take it down and transport it and put it back up again. But drop down to verse 53 and it says, But the Levite shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levite shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. So the Levites were not to fight in the army. They were to care for the tabernacle. They were going to take it down and move it and put it back up again. Um, they were going to camp around it and protect it and guard it and make sure that no one either accidentally or purposefully wanders into the tabernacle courtyard and then into the tabernacle because if they did, they would die. So the Levites were to protect the Israelites in this way. And then that last verse, chapter 1, 54 says, Thus did the people of Israel. They did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So when chapter 1 ends, we see the Israelites are obeying God. So that brings us to chapter 2, and we see God's organization continue. So let's look at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. So now God tells, is going to tell Moses where the people will camp. And we see that it's going to be all around the tabernacle on every side, north, south, east, and west. And they are going to face towards the tabernacle. And do you get the significance of that? God is in the center of this cap, camp, and that is the exact right spot for God, in the center. God needs to be in the center of our lives, the very middle. Everything we do or say, our work, our play, our worship, our relationships, God in the middle of it all. We want to walk on our journey with God, with God in the center, the very center of it all. 
The second thing I notice here are these banners. I think how beautiful this must have been. Each tribe has a banner or a flag. Some even say it could have been something carved on a piece of wood, put on a pole. But it represents the tribe in some descriptive way. And I've thought a lot about these banners. And I've thought about what would my family banner look like? You know, what would yours look like? You know, I would hope that mine would be blue because I love that color. And in the middle, I would want a cross because my family, we're all Christ followers. And then somewhere on this banner, there would probably be eyeglasses because everyone in my family needs either contact lenses or glasses to see. You know, it's interesting to think about these banners. I couldn't find pictures of any of them, but I would have loved to. They would have uh, probably been very beautiful. The banners also um, had a military purpose. They would indicate possession and victory. And it also pointed out their position, where they were. They would put the banner up, and everybody would line up behind the banner. Can you picture that? Looking around for your family banner and lining up behind it. You know, Moses built an altar in Exodus 17 after God had given the Israelites victory over the Amalekites. And Moses called this altar, God is my banner. And it means God is my protection. Moses was saying, I'm lining up behind God. He is my protection. Solomon wrote a beautiful book, uh, really a song, the Song of Solomon in the Bible, and it's a picture of a bridegroom and his beloved bride. It's also a picture of Christ, our bridegroom, and a picture of us as his beloved bride. And there's a beautiful phrase in there, um, Song of Solomon 2, verse 4, and this is the bride saying of her bridegroom, his banner over me was love. I want to line up behind Jesus. His banner over me is love. So let's go on and see where these um, tribes are all going to be. So verse 3 says, Those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah. Okay, now let me just say Judah, when he got his blessing from Jacob, Jacob called him the um, lion's cub. And so I think there would be a lion on the banner of Judah. By the way, Jesus comes from the line of Judah, uh, and that is why he is sometimes called the Lion of Judah. Okay, so Judah um, is going to have two other, the, uh, two other camps, two other tribes camping next to him. We see in verse 5 that one of them is Issachar, and then verse 7 tells us the tribe of Zebulun. So those three tribes are going to be on the east side, and those three tribes would have their own standard. They would have one that represented that east side, those um, tribes with Judah um, heading that up. And we see in verse 9 that they are going to set out first on the march. They will lead out. And the number of these three tribes together is 186,400. It's the largest number of men. So the largest number is going to head out first. Then verse 10 tells us on the south side, there shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben. And so camping with Reuben, we see verse 12, the tribe of Simeon. And then 14 tells us the tribe of Gad. And they are going to march out second. So we see that in verse 16. And then we have a very interesting verse, 17. Then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps. So here we have the Levites, and they're going to march after the first two sets of tribes, transporting the tabernacle. And then verse 18 says, On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim. And who's with Ephraim? 
Verse 20 says Manasseh, that makes sense. And then 22 says the tribe of Benjamin. And if you drop down to 24, it says they shall set out third. And their number combined is only 108,100. This is the smallest number on any one side, and they're going to march out third. And we have a, um, a graph that we might want to put up just so you can look. You can see it. This is also in your notebook as well. But you see the tabernacle in the very middle, um, that little rectangle around it. That's the tabernacle courtyard. The tabernacle's that dark rectangle in the middle. Um, we have the basin and the altar. And then you see camped all around it on the east side and the south side and the west side. And then on the north side, Verse 25 says, will be the standard of the camp of Dan. And with him, 27 says the tribe of Asher. And then in verse 29, you have the tribe of Naphtali. And they will set out last. And their number combined together is 157,600. This is the second largest group of men. So do you see we've got the first largest marching out first under the standard of Judah, and then bringing up the rear under the standard of Dan is the second largest number. And in between are the other tribes and the Levites. Such great order here. And verse 34 tells us, Thus did the people of Israel according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they set out, each one in his clan, according to his father's house. So we see that they are still obedient. They are camping right in the order that they're giving, and they're also setting out in order. And you can see how important that would be for all these um, millions of people to march out and to camp in order. So in chapter 2, I really see that God is a God of order. One quote said that order is heaven's first law. And I thought about that a lot and what that meant. And I think that is true because God is the author of order. We see that in the very beginning with creation. God creates the sun, it comes up, it goes down. We have day and we have night. And we know the seasons follow each other. Um, winter comes after the fall and then we have spring and that leads to summer. God created the world with order. A characteristic of God is order, and the opposite of order is chaos. Now, we are all familiar with chaos. It's often unpleasant. It's unproductive. It's meaningless, and sometimes it's kind of scary. That's chaos. Um, you know, football season started, guys, and so I was at the TCU game watching the bands march out on the field, and I love the order, the precision that we see as they line up and they march out, and they're all moving around in such great order. But some of you may have noticed that um, when they're finished, some of the bands just all rush off the field together, and I'm always taken aback by that. It seems so chaotic and a little scary as they do that. You know, sometimes our lives seem pretty chaotic, but God is not the author of chaos. He is the author of order. So if your life is chaotic, say, take some time this week to talk to God and to listen to him. Ask God to bring order into your life and see what happens. God can bring order out of chaos. So that brings us to chapter 3, and in our um, last few minutes, let's look at uh, some more about the Levites. I hope you're getting the picture here, how important the Levites are. We've seen them in, in every chapter. 
So let's begin with chapter um, 3, verse 1. And it says, These are the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. So what this is referring to here... um, Moses and Aaron are from the tribe of Levi, and when they were on Mount Sinai, God appointed Aaron to be the high priest over the tabernacle, and he ordained his sons to also serve as priests. We see that in verse 3. Now, it tells us that Aaron had four sons, but the first two sons um, died before the Lord because they arrogantly disregarded the instructions God had given them on how to um, care for the tabernacle, and so So Aaron now has two sons left, Eleazar and Ithmar, serving alongside him as priests. And from this time on, from the line of Aaron would come the priests. So they would be from the tribe of Levi, but from the line of Aaron. And the priests had a big job. They were the only ones that could go into the tabernacle and light the candles and bring in the showbread and light the incense. They were the ones that helped with the sacrifices, helped the high priest with the sacrifice uh, on the bronze altar in the courtyard. You know, it was no insignificant thing to be one of God's priests. They were God's anointed servants. They were especially consecrated for his glory. The priests were to help God's people to obey his law. And they were to bear witness of God's goodness to the Israelites. It was a big job. So God is going to give the Levites to assist the priests. He's going to give them as a gift from God to the priests. God is giving the Levites very great purpose here. Now, we've already seen they're going to uh, camp around the tabernacle. They're going to uh, take down the tabernacle. They're going to minister in that way. And they're also going to assist the priests in their jobs. The Levites were special to the Lord. And we see that in verse 11. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel. Instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel, the Levites shall be mine. For all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, but of man, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. There's that phrase, and we are listening. So let me explain what that verse 13 means. Let me explain this part. Um, It's referring to that tenth and final plague in Egypt after Pharaoh had once again refused to let the Israelites leave um, the slavery of Egypt. And so God said to Moses, tell Pharaoh, every firstborn in Egypt shall die tonight. And tell the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb over their door and their firstborns shall be spared. And that's exactly what happened. The firstborn of all the Egyptians died, but uh, the Israelites who had the blood of the sacrificed lamb over their door, their firstborns were spared. And so in chapter 13 of Exodus, God declares that all the firstborn were his and they were to be dedicated to service. This was a great thing. But now God is substituting the tribe of Levi for all the firstborns from all the other tribes of Israel. The Levites are mine, says the Lord. And so God tells Moses, take a census of all the Levites, the males one month and older, because um, 
Moses is going to see how many Levites there are, and then they know how many firstborns from all the other tribes, and there's going to be this substitution. And the important thing um, that we want to see here today is where these, uh, not just the numbers, but also where are these clans going to camp around the tabernacle? Now, there's three clans. They were the three sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. So in verse 23, we're going to just look at this information. Verse 23, the clans of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle on the west. We also see some information on the specific things of the tabernacle, but we're going to look at that in detail next week, so we're going to skip over that and just look down at verse 29, and it says the sons of Kohath, they're going to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. And then if you look at 33, we see Merari, and they are going to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. That's actually in verse 35. Um, If we put up that uh, graph one more time, you see that uh, these three clans are around the tabernacle uh, with the tribes outside of them. They were there to protect the tabernacle. And then let's see who's going to be on the east side. That is a side of honor because on the east side, the great tapestry door that led into the courtyard faced the east. And then the tabernacle itself, the tapestry door there also faced the east. So it tells us in verse 38, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tent of meeting toward the sunrise, were Moses and Aaron and his sons. That is where they are to camp. And the rest of these verses here talk about the substitution of the Levites for the firstborn. And you can read that later. What we see is that God gives the Levites great purpose. And God's plan for us is to give us great purpose. Purpose is important. It gives us significance. It gives us meaning to our lives. We all want to live our life with purpose. Now, Jesus gives us a great purpose in Matthew 22. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are two great purposes for our lives, but God also gives us individual purposes. Maybe a purpose that you have is to raise your children in a godly home. Maybe you're going to smile in your workplace when it seems unfriendly and crazy because you have the joy of the Lord in your heart. And so you offer joy in the form of a smile. If you are not sure what your purpose is today, um, go home this week. And as you study the word, pray and talk to God and ask him to reveal to you what is the great purpose that God has for you. Okay, our time is over and we've come to the end. And I know this is a lot. Your heads are probably swimming, but please come back. It's going to make more and more sense in the weeks to come. And I know that God will bless you as we study the book of Numbers. One thing, your faith will increase um, as God reveals himself to you. Your faith in God will increase. Secondly, we're going to see how to live in community with others. We all need that because we all live in community. We have loved ones and friends and neighbors and strangers and believers and unbelievers. We live in a great community of people. And the third thing I think that um, can happen is we're going to come to know what God desires. 
as we study the stories of the Israelites. Sometimes they're complex and complicated. They're always compelling as we see their disobedience and their obedience, as we see their doubt and their trust and their courage. And we're also going to see a talking donkey. So you want to come back (laughs) and study numbers. Be a part of our uh, study of the Israelites' journey. And my prayer is that you will find hope and help and blessing for your own life journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a mighty God, loving, protecting, caring, holy, just. Lord, you are so great. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. We want to know you more. We want to love you more and be drawn closer to you. Lord, thank you for each one of these women that have come today to be a part of this study. I pray, Lord, you would bless them in a mighty way that they would feel your presence this week as they look at your words in the book of Numbers. Thank you, Father, for the way you bless us, for loving us and drawing us close to you. We love you, Lord, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.